Welcome, everyone. My guest today is the great Joe Franco. Without further ado, I'm going to welcome my very special guest, the ever-youthful and the ever-handsome Joe Franco. And there he is. <laughs> Congratulations, John. That's, that's just amazing. Oh, well, um, thank you. You're a great host. I, um, this is like the Tonight Show for drummers, you know, and oh, you man. are Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I, I, um, I, you know, when I, I wanted to tell you about this last week and I, and I probably should have, cause it wasn't like it was a, a giant secret, but we were still working out the details. Um, David Frangioni and myself and, and, you know, we had our, our, our big high powered lawyers in the room with us. So we had to, we had to be careful about it, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I did want to tell you ahead of time. And like I told you, when we were offline, we had all this commotion going on at my house today with workers here from the early morning hours, right up until just now. So, um, anyway, it's, it's, it's exciting to do this first show with you, given your well, history. Again, I'm really excited to be here and excited to see you, John. We haven't seen each other in uh, probably since a Modern Drummer Festival, or I, I, I can't remember. I, cutting I room, even, maybe. Cutting room, maybe, or, or oh, or cutting room or? when you announced your retirement from Zildjian. Wow! So that was the last time you haven't How been long? to Nam. I that was well. That's coming up. I left at the end of 2012, so coming up on 10 years. Oh, I've seen you. Yeah, I must have I think seen you so. at NAM. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so, yeah. You know, I was thinking, Joe, uh, you know, I don't, I, it's funny to say this, but I'm going to just say it. You're like the happiest guy I know. I, and I, I think I'm a pretty happy guy, and I, and I know a lot of happy guys. Like, we both know Greg Bissonette's a happy guy. And, <laughs> but but you're, you're probably the happiest like most upbeat, positive guy that every time I see you, this is what you look like right now, what we're all seeing. <laughs> it's that face. It's, well, that, it's that face. Well, thanks. There's a lot to be happy about. You know, I, I feel very blessed um, to be amongst the drummer community. Um, and, um, you know, things are good. I'm, I'm um, very optimistic about everything. So I guess that's it's a good thing for a drummer. I did. Well, you know, I, I'm going to, we're going to get to a lot of stuff, but I, I, my history with you, and, and I've, I've told you this, the first time I met you, I wasn't working for Zildjian. I was still, it was sort of the, the end of my time at Drum Workshop. I'd moved back from LA and I was Don's East Coast um, artist relations and sales guy at DW. And it was, I want to say it was Zildjian Day at Desenzo's Drum Shop, or it was something that Dick Desenzo in Quincy, Massachusetts had you for a drum clinic around 1988. You know, John, I was going to wear, and I can't find it, I was going to wear my DiCenzo Drum Shop sweatshirt that oh. I still have somewhere. I combed the whole, I can't find it. Oh. Uh, because I know how you like to wear appropriate sweatshirts and T-shirts, yes. and yeah. I just couldn't find it. But yeah, that's where we met. There, that, that shop was pretty small, right. and there were like a zillion drum kits, and somehow we put this big double... I know. Kick premier kick with Tom's galore and in the middle of it, and yeah. and 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 you know Lenny Lenny Demusio um, 
hey, Joey, baby, this is going to be great. This is going to, you know, the whole. The, and I walk in, I can hardly get in the back. I know. And Dick, I remember too, and then Dick ended up getting like a hundred and something people in there on top of that. Like you, you got that drum kit in there. You played your ass off, by the way, as you always do. And I, I had never seen you play before. I knew who you were from your, your legendary book, which was, I want to say this was 1988. So the book had already been out a few years. And yeah, it was like, 83, it was 84, the, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, no disappointment. You and you were so nice. I introduced myself, and and you said uh, I, you said something like, "Oh yeah, Lomb- yeah, tell Lombardi I said hi" or something like that. I said I'm, I work for Drum Workshop or something. And you said, "Oh yeah, tell Lombardi I said hi." I think you were using the DW pedals at that time. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, um, I switched over to the five thousands years ago, um, way before I started playing DW drums. Yeah, um, yeah. and I still use them. Yeah. That that's yeah and and uh, and you know I, I'll say you know Tom Myers is watching so I, I'll, I'll I'll hey Tom a big, a big hello to Tom because Tom, Tom is, I got all your premier scenarios over there see there's a <laughs> twisted pink and um, purple widowmaker and all that stuff he gave me thanks yeah yeah Tom's a good man and he was the man behind Premiere for many many years in the U S and had a lot of great artists like yourself and and Rod Morgenstein and Clem Burke and you know and and I was just Tommy say, Price Tommy Price yeah you got you you guys were representing in those days and uh and I just remember thinking like these drums sound great you sound great um it took me a while to finally get hip to premiere but you know to actually get a set which was only just last year but anyway yeah that, that was a that was a great time and then a, then a I think it was six months later I started working at Zildjian and I met you not long after that and instantly i i think another i think you came up to boston another time to do something um another clinic or something or maybe you came to berkeley the maybe it i did a couple okay. at the performing arts center at berkeley that's okay that must have been because lenny and i went yeah. and and uh, and that's when i really got to hang with you and and yeah you just like this happy like and working all the time, always with a, you know, I th- this was, so this would have been late 88. Were you still with Twisted Sister? That was still. 87, yeah. 88. Yeah. In the late 80s, I did a lot of different things, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, it could have been that that era. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And then, the, and then Widowmaker came after that. I remember I yeah. still have the CD that's killed. That, that band should have been, um, you know, like a mega, mega huge it's you know the music business, of course, but uh, yeah, yeah, I th- that, that was my favorite band. Um, it just had everything I thought, you know. But the problem with selling an '80s rock star in the '90s, you know, we were getting into that yeah. Seattle thing, and um, which I loved, but you know, we were history, you know. So it was uh, it was tough to be commercially successful at that time for you know as we got lumped into hair bands, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I know that's, that's a tough one. Cause it, you guys were more than that. You know, you guys were like, like serious players, you know, a group of like really great musicians that, but I know what you're saying you. it, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it wasn't it, a lot of bands sort of got lumped into a bag of like, well, that was that genre. That's not happening now. And it's this, and if Dave Abrazese is watching, it's your fault. <laughs> you and Pearl Jam. <laughs> No. <laughs> but all the good stuff that came out of that era, Soundgarden, one of my yeah. favorite bands. Absolutely. I love that band. 
Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, but you, you are always like, I, I know we were talking the phone, you know, and, and you're always doing something, you're always working. And then at, at some point, at, by my recollection, maybe the mid nineties, you started doing like a ton of session work. You started, you start, you, is that when you started Beat Street, your own studio, and started well, producing? Well, you know, I, I I started, you know, after Twisted, I, I I did a lot of, you know, I didn't have a steady band. You know that 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 record was not successful, the last Twisted record, and I kind of um I was doing a record with D, a band called Envy, uh, before we went out and played with Twisted. And um, Dee told me, look, I, I want to do this album with Twisted, but I want to do my own band after this, and I want you to play drums. That wound up taking way longer than we thought, but that was Widowmaker, right. you know. But between there was, you know, four or five years. And um, during that time, I, I, I played with a lot of really cool guitar players, you know, uh, Vinnie Moore and Blue Saracino and Leslie West. And, you know, um, I, I love that. I, I, I like playing with guitar players. I mean, we just yeah. we just bond. And, and, and so that was a really exciting time for me to not be in a steady band so I can do all this other stuff, you know. So that that was like late '80s, or, and by early '90s, Widowmaker started coming together. Uh, but uh, yeah, but during that time, you know, I did a lot of educational stuff. I love I love doing drum clinics and and just you know sharing with with drummers. You know, that's uh, the, no, nothing more fun than that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I opened my studio because. Um, you know, sometimes life gets in the way, you know, and basically I had my studio in my loft and I had my drums down the block uh, in the studio I shared with Jonathan Mover mm-hmm. um, and the studio called Smash. It used to be on 22nd Street. I lived on 22nd. Jonathan was on 26th. We chatted at the NAMM show. Jeez, I'm, I just got this place in the city. I need a place to play drums. Um, so we bonded, we took a room, um, we both set up mega drum kits. And then I took <laughs> one of my old Ludwig kits as a student kit. So each of us taught one day a week and it paid the rent and we had a place to, to yeah. bang out, you know? So that was my acoustic drums. And then my, my, all my studio stuff was in my loft. Then I met my wife, greatest thing that ever happened to me. She's fabulous. Can't say enough. Um, and we started having kids, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so there went my home studio. Yeah. So yeah. I took um, I took my home studio and my drums, and I just basically I walked a couple of blocks down the Broadway and found the place. I said, "Yeah, this is pretty cool," and I just called it Beat Street. Um, set up my drums, had my recording gear, and and it evolved into a pretty cool little studio where I can actually play on records in the comfort of the home, you know? So yeah. that's how that whole thing started. I remember you telling me a story when you, when you first started doing records and, and producing, you know, sessions and stuff there that, um, you know, you, your kids were born. And, and I remember you telling me a story about how I'd walk my daughter to school, like, you know, <laughs> down the street, drop her off, at, drop her off at school and then go to my studio and, and work. And yeah. I just thought, like, man, how how could it ever be any better than that, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And I had my earbuds in, and I'd be, you know, just, just 
just living on music. And then, you know, if I got there early enough where no one was there, I'd play for a while, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah. But, but it, 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 it really evolved into something really great for myself because, you know, the early nineties were tough, you know, like I said, Widowmaker had a tough time and, um, here I am starting a family, you know, and what do I do now? Well, I used to do a lot of stuff on the side for Sesame Street, you know, mm. and okay. um, like um, they had the, they had a house band Sesame Street. But when they did off the, you know, like they'll do Big Bird Gets Lost, you know, on VHS, that kind yeah. of thing. And they needed music. So they were allowed to go outside of the house band to do the off projects, not the actual television show. So I met this really great guy, Paul Jacobs um, and Chris Surf. And I did a lot of things for them, for Sesame Street. And they approached me one day and said, we're doing this new show called Between the Lions. We're partnering with WGBH in Boston and doing a show, a children's show, very much like Sesame Street, yeah. you know, puppeteers and all, all that. And we want you to play drums. I said, well, you know what? I just put this really cool studio together. You might want to record me here. And they came down to the studio and they were like, we could do the whole show here. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that started my second career, you know, where I had this have this amazing run that's still going. I mean, we do like blues clues and we do we do a lot of these popular show. We do a bunch of things with Sesame Street. And 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 at the same time I play drums there, you know, and, and played nice. on a bunch of records there. So um, it, it, it was really, it was, you know, you're telling me I'm a happy guy. There's a lot to be happy about. <laughs> I know, yeah. Because yeah. here I am, I'm bringing these kids into the world and I'm bringing them down to meet Big Bird and, and, and you know, doing that, that you know, between the lines, they, they filmed the same place that Sesame Street did, you know. So it was like just one big happy puppeteer family. Um, and I got to play drums on the show and, 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 the show has amazing, amazing music. Um, it wasn't like, you know, let's talk down to kids, you know. Yeah, it was a yeah. reading show. And so our background singers were the Vowels. And the Vowels were now Nicky Richards. I mean, yeah, New York's finest. Uh, Paulette McWilliams. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so we got to, it was like making records. We got to play, you know, not only do the underscore for the show, but do about 10 songs a week. And so it was just like, you know, it was, how cool is that? Unfortunately, it's not like that anymore. You know, that was, this is the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, Budgets shrank. And now it's kind of like people are phoning in the music and it, you know, we still make great television, but it's back then it was like being in a band, you know? Yeah. And, um, but, uh, but anyway, that's how I got my foot in the door and, and this whole beach street thing, um, has become a great thing. Is there, is there anything, you know, it's like, this is the most, you know, broad sort of question I know, but I mean, is there anything you could, you could share with people that as a sort of like, uh, way to, you know, people I'm sure are dying to know how you get your foot in the door. Like how, you know, how could someone, um, create an opportunity like that, like that for themselves? I mean, is there anything you can share that, that could be other than just, you know, I know you have to be well, in the, you have to be in a good, tough. you know, yeah. I mean, you know, in, Having having a name in New York City certainly helped, you know. I mean, it's a big city. There's a lot yeah, going on, yeah. you know. 
Um, and that really helped. But I mean, getting into the TV thing, I got in as, I was just a drummer, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I knew, I knew a bunch about gear because, you know, the funny thing happened in the mid eighties, you know, like, like, um, you know, dance music was really popular, right? And dance music, the, the kick drum was like, boom, like in your face, <laughs> like rock drummers was yeah. like, Oh, I want my kick drum to sound like that, you know. And um, so, so long story short, you know, rock drummers started, you know, um, you know, replacing drums with samples and programming stuff. I got it. I got into programming. Um, I got into programming because I started losing gigs. I remember doing uh, Fiona's second record, and we had um, six or seven songs done. And Bo Hill, who produced it, said, okay, I'm bringing in a programmer for the other three. We're going to program it. Uh, huh? Like, like, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like my band. Like, this is... And that hit me. That hit yeah. me really hard. And at that point, they had this drum machine. Because Lindrum, you know, it, it yeah. was just like everything sounded the same. But that was the point. It was about 86. Um, Emu came out with this SP-12. I remember. And yeah. with the SP-12, you can put your own sounds in. You can make your own snare. You can make your own hi-hat. You can make... That was interesting to me uh, because the drummer could be creative in thinking like a drummer. Okay, I'm going to do 12 hi-hat samples. I'm going to do the that one, that one, that one. I'll do it with my left hand. I'll crossfade them. I'll map them out on my drum cat or my octopad or whatever that I was using back then and really put the drummer smarts into that. And it really, it, it was really a fun period. And it caught the attention of, um, of, of a well-known producer at the time, Rick Wake, and who had just had some success with um, Taylor Dane's record, her first mm -hmm. record. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to do her second record. And, you know, me and I had like two number one songs on that record. Yeah, yeah. And and that snowball. And then, oh, man, I'm taking this guy with me. You know, he did Celine Dion and Diana Ross. And, and you know, I, I played on all those records. Mariah Carey's first record. We we arranged that together, you know, yeah. me and Rick. And, you know, that, 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 um, that gave me... Here's the thing happens when you're doing programming. You're on this side of the glass. You're not yeah. the guy in there with headphones and after every take, you turn around and hope no one's laughing. And, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're on the other side. And yeah. that, then you're in a different mode. You're like, oh, what does that do? And what does that do? And so I, I started getting into being a, a gearhead. Yeah. yeah. And so that helped me when I put Beat Street together. I kind of knew gear, you know. Uh, so, you know, how, do, what do you tell somebody to uh, a, a drummer starting out? I don't know. It's an evolution. Yeah. It's, it's a constant evolution, you know? Um, and, and, and I, I went with that. Um, and like what I was telling you before about like dance records and, and drummers wanting to have the big sound, that was another technology that was happening. They had these samplers like the F-16. I don't know if you heard of that, Ben Forat. He had this sampler oh, I remember, where... I remember Forat, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so he had this device where you take the drum sound off tape and it spits back a sample. So you can take a real drum performance and make it sound big like those like disco records, you know, yeah, only it's yeah. rock, you know. Um, but then it became a real fine line. Hey, 
dude, you're going to have big drum sounds like that. You better play really simple. And you got to play with a click. Right. Okay, so I'm going to play really simple. I'm going to play with a click. And it kind of blurred the line between programming and drumming to a certain sense, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know. I I'm 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 babbling, you know. Um, I no, hope this, this is, is interesting. To, absolutely, to it is. No, it is because I and I think what you're saying really is that, like, you you gotta you gotta jump on this stuff kind of early on. Like, if somebody's if somebody's interested in doing what you're doing, they gotta they gotta dig in and do the homework about the gear and, you know, knowing how to have a home studio and how to run a home studio and and it's it's not a question of it, just it just opens up more doors. You know, yeah. and now in this COVID era, if you're not home, you know, with some kind of a mic set up or some kind of a, you know, um, you know, you can't record, you know, and yeah. hopefully this is be behind us, you know. Um, the more I read, the more people are saying this is going to be a seasonal flu. Every fall, you get your flu shot, and it's not going to leave us, but, you know, we're going to get out and start rocking again, you know. Exactly. And I'm so yeah. happy to see people starting to do that, you know. But anyway, the point is, during this time, it's nice to be able to be creative at home and be able to make records and be able to do that um, in the comfort of home. And, yeah, I, I think drummers have to be more than, you know, paradiddles, you know, more than, you know, <laughs> I yeah. say that. But meanwhile, John, I've turned into a pad nerd. <laughs> I bet your chops are crazy great. I mean, they they were always good, but I mean, so. well, no, you know, I I, <laughs> I was never happy. I was never happy with my grip. I was never happy with you know. I actually I did tell you a funny story. I took a couple of drum lessons from Tony Williams. Okay, wow. and Tony was like, "Oh, you play really heavy and powerful, but but you got to hold the sticks back here. You know, you got to play with your hands. I don't want to not with your fingers, not with your. You got to play with your hands. You know." So that got me into this thing, you know, and what was the result of it? I mean, it was great and it was powerful and it was great for playing with, you know, the D Snyders and the people I, I played with for many years. Um, but wow, I developed a really serious tendonitis, like left hand right over here, you know, and I, and I know other drummers have this problem because I've spoken to so many of them. Anyway, I read this thing one day in Modern Drummer about um, this teacher down in Texas, Bill Bachman, and he he, um, he amazing, um, amazing cat. Um, and and I, I saw them out and I started taking some lessons from him um, and he kind of turned my grip around a little bit where now I could play two or three hours and nothing hurts. It's no so great. Yeah. And so I started studying with Bill. I mean, I'm on a little bit of a hiatus now, but like um, I, I go in great, Tuesday yeah. morning at nine o'clock. I turn on my Zoom and it's Bill and we have our pads out and it's so much fun. You know, um, what am I doing this for? Uh, I don't know. It makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're it's it's you're, you're you know, that's what we do as drummers. Hopefully, is we yeah. try to improve, you know, and it's never ending. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's, I, during the during the pandemic, when it started two years ago, I started studying with a, a friend of mine, a local drummer. We did it through our iPhones. Uh, yeah. Chris Anzalone, his name is, and he's he's left handed like me. And and I thought, well, you know, it, it, if nothing else, it'll be a little easier to sort of translate 
what he's doing as a, as another left-handed drummer. Not that I, I couldn't from a right-handed drummer, but, uh, but anyway, it was a, a similar thing. We've, we've taken a bit of a hiatus, but I, I could never really, I was never really a, a reader and I had a little basic understanding from years ago and he sort of brought me into the, into the fold, so to speak. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, and I, it, it just felt good to be doing something to improve. You know, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, it makes you feel good. You know, I mean, yeah. I do these things. I'm going through the Gadamans. Oh, my God. Oh, it yeah. take, it'll take it take me a week to really get a page, a page. Because, you know, everyone could play a flam paradiddle and all that kind of stuff. But the way he does, the way he presents everything in that book, everything's displaced. So you're not starting on a downbeat. You're starting a 16th note later. And making that feel good, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. man, yeah. when you nail page after page, it's a great feeling. That's that's awesome. Yeah, he when he when talking to everybody that doesn't know, we're talking about Steve Gadd's book, Gadamans. And uh <laughs> and we <laughs> You know, I was, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I, I've, I've got a copy in the other room and I haven't, to be honest, I haven't tried to go through it very recently, but for a while I was, and I was, I was figuring out the stickings, like you say, but making it feel good, forget it. I never got close to that show. (laughs) I could, I could go, okay, I see what he's doing here. And he would say to me, how are you doing with it? Man, it's not that hard. And he'd be like, Steve, it's not that hard for you. You know who you're talking to here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, I developed a whole new appreciation, you know, um, for rudimental drumming. I never played in drum corps. I, I never, you know, I mean, I, I always had my own rock band, you know. So on yeah. weekends, we, we rehearsed, you know, and, 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 and played. You know, I couldn't go playing in football games, you know, I was doing my own thing. Um, but, like, I don't look down at drum corps. It's just that at the time when I would have, been doing that sort of thing. I was playing in bands, you know, but um, I love rudiments because, you know, every drummer's dream is for their weak hand. I won't say left hand because I know there's lefties watching um, their weak hand to be as good as their strong hand. Yeah. You know, so, so rudiments are, you know, each hand works out the same, you know, and um, yeah. And, and, and that's a cool thing, but, but, but here's the, the catch. The more you practice, the, the 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 good hand gets better as well. So yeah. you're still catching up. I, I was gonna say, yeah, I know. It's it's for me. It's a catch twenty two. When I when I start spending a lot of time in the pad, my I feel like wow, my left hand feels. But there's there's still a big difference between how weak my right hand is. So. It's a vicious cycle. It is. It is okay. So so talking about practice. And by the way, I just got I get a shout out to a few people that are watching. Um, Jeremy Driesen, I didn't realize you knew Jeremy. He's a friend of mine from the Vineyard. Yeah, he he comes over to borrow a snare drum stand every now and then. Yeah, you know. keep your eye on him because he, yeah. he, he'll, he'll keep that snare stand if you're not careful. But our dear friend Therese Demusio, daughter of the great Lenny Demusio, is is watching, and she said, "I remember the way back Fiona Good Rat gigs, Good Rats gigs, sending hugs and kisses." to one of the most positive, happy souls. Absolutely, Therese. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to just throw this out here right now, Joe, because I had you in mind about this for this future episode, which you'll be part of. I'm telling you right now. We're going to do a tribute to Lenny DiMuzio, remembering Lenny DiMuzio down the road. And I, I got, I was way back when I had Vinny Kaliuta on the show, we were talking about Lenny as we always do. And, 
and uh, and I and I he said I said I'm going to do something with Lenny, and he said, Oh, I I want to do it with you. I want to be part of it. And I started thinking about you, Adam Nussbaum, of course Therese. I mean, just and then I the, the number got to be about thirty people <laughs> that would want to be part of this. So it may be two episodes, but anyway, we're going to do something. Um, oh, that I I, yeah. I I could talk about Lenny all day. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I'd he, love that. He he lo- he loved you. He absolutely <laughs> loved you. You were Joey Joey Franco. Um, He's like yeah. Uncle Uncle Lenny. Yeah, Uncle Lenny. He was Uncle Lenny to my kids. I know. I know. He really was. He was. I, I I'll just tell you this quick funny Lenny story that we all have a million. But when my kids were really little, I mean, I was at, only at Zildjian a short time, and they'd come and visit me. Lenny's office was, Lenny had the best office. He was in the, in the sort of back. You remember? Like I remember. Behind, yeah. yeah. Behind the conference room. And he had this, it was like a, it was, I won't say a man cave, but it was like this cool, you know, he just had it all off on his own. And, uh, and my kids would wander back there. They knew where it was. Like I'd be in my office on the phone or something. They'd wander back there because Lenny had candy on his on his desk in like a little jar or like in a little tray and they they'd disappear and then come back chewing on a on a butterscotch candy you know and i'd be like guys leave lenny alone and he's like ah johnny don't worry they're gone no it's okay have him come in it's okay you know he was the best he was just absolutely the best that handshake oh (laughs) the never-ending handshake yeah never it it was warmth you know that handshake was just you know it really did it it just you're right it just it was so you know and he would just hold your hand and say yeah joey chops your chops are way up there joey chops are really up there yeah well i'll i'll save my stories for the lenny episode because i've got some great ones um and uh but yeah well Rest in peace, my friend. Rest in peace, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, but when you were talking about, you know, practice and reading, I wanted to, yeah. to quote Lenny, jump back to how you got started. And I'm assuming you, you studied as a, as a young drummer. I mean, you took lessons and got the basics to reading. and Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I have, um, you know, a very unique story. These four guys from Liverpool were on the Ed Sullivan show, and I saw that, and it changed my life. I, okay. I don't know if anybody else has that story, I, but I doubt um, it. Yeah, um, and um, <laughs> basically, well, I have a, a good scene because my uncle, who we lived in the same house, we were the, the well, Brooklyn Italian households where grandma and grandpa lived on one floor, my uncle lived on another floor, we lived on, you know, one of those scenes, you know. Beautiful. And yeah. um, once my uncle got married, the drums just stay down the basement because he used to have club date bands, you know? And, um, so we just had a drum set set up there and I was, you know, curious, you know, but, um, it was those guys from Liverpool. Um, and then it was like, you know, I had my little Victrola, they call them the Victrola, you know, and you put the record on and I put it right in back of me and I played with my Beatles songs, you know, and that my uncle saw that, and he's saying, wow, you know, because he taught me my first two beats, the twist beat and the jazz beat. The, the, twist, the twist beat like, was... Da, 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 yeah, yeah. Da, da, da. And the jazz beat. Ding, 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 ding. 
And those two beats, I can play the whole Beatles album, you know, Can't yeah. Buy Me Love. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. And, yeah. you know, uh, and, and all the the rockers with, you know, you didn't have to play two and even if you play two and four. But that gave me my foundation. And so I started playing with my Beatle records that I got to take it for lessons. And, you know, because my dad was working all the time. My uncle was, was younger um, and he was kind of like a big brother uh, to me, you know. So he took me for my first lessons and... I was 12 and I met my first band there because, you know, these uh, guitar players that were taking guitar lessons, they had neither the drummer their age and yeah. hooked us together. And that was my first band. And I had a band, you know, forever, ever since, you know, yeah. the first drum teacher, because she asked me about lessons, he was lame. I mean, I, he took out books. He, he'd be smoking. It was back then, smoking yeah. a cigarette, like this yeah. little room. It's like <laughs> just on a pad, right? Probably just had you working out. On Never a got on the drum. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I learned by ear. You know, um, and um, the guy that really turned it around for me—you'll love this. Um, I went and saw. Carmine Apice's very first drum clinic. Very first. Wow. It was in a basement in Hempstead, Sam Ash Hempstead. And, you know, I was a huge Cactus fan. And at the time, he was, you know, middle Cactus. Like, I think it was between uh, the second and third album. And um, he was just, you know, signing Sam Ash, Carmine Apice drum clinic, you know. So I was just like... You know, a kid, you know, I, so I guess what, let me think about this. Maybe I was 16 or something. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. So, so I went to this drum clinic and you can imagine, I mean, I, at that point I've seen a couple of concerts, you know, um, but to be this close to someone, to a real powerhouse player, you know, sure. yeah. I was like, holy shit, this is like, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, at the end of the show, I says, man, do you give lessons? And he says, sure. He gives me his number. You know? Yeah. And so, so I used to go to Chromite's house every week. And and he awesome. got me on the syncopation and stick control and Jim Chapin and those books. Yeah. And that yeah. was really the first time I studied in books with books. Um, and then at the time, you know, yeah, I'd be taking a drum lesson. Jeff Beck be calling. I'd be like, oh, man, this guy's so cool. <laughs> uh, and and, and oh, so then man. he went out on the road with Jeff Beck, uh, BBA. Um, and um, he hired uh, he had one of his students take over for him. And so and his name was Joe Markowski. Rest in peace. He, he oh. amazing drummer. Uh, got on my hands, all my doubles, everything. He, he got the whole trip together. Then I was on a kick and I started studying. I studied, you know, I told you I took a couple of them from Tony. Yep. I took a less, some lessons from Andrew Cyril. I mean, oh, wow. he, yeah. I, yeah. I would go into someone who played completely different than I, completely. you know, yeah. and, and see what, what can I, you know, I would do Tony Williams, seven steps to heaven and, you know, he would, Miles yeah. Davis records, you know, uh, and I was getting in tune to that stuff then because I don't know, I was a rock guy, you know, and, and, and so, so, you know, for me, high school was Hendrix and cream. That was religion, you know, yeah, yeah. um, you go to the Fillmore every weekend, Clive Bunker, you know, I'm, oh, those guys meant so much to me, you know, what a, what a time. Yeah. Well, what 1967 was midway through high school and 
Think about 1967. Oh, I know. All you I mean, experienced Disraeli gears, Hendrix Cream, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, had, you had the West Coast, you know, Beach Boys and Jan and Dean and all that. The that, Doors that. were just but, but starting then, to happen. Then the second wave of West Coast, Doors, Airplane, Dead, and all, you know, all that stuff, yeah, right? absolutely. It was such an amazing year for music. Sergeant you know, Pepper. I mean, the, Sergeant the Pepper were still it, making great records, yeah. First Pink Floyd. First Pro Call Harem. Jethro Tull. Yeah. Yep. It was, and I think Deep Purple might have been 68, but, but I mean, right, right on the cusp of that. 68. Yeah. yeah. Deep Purple came a little bit after that. Yeah. Fudge was 67. Yeah. Very first Fudge. Yep. Yep. 67 was a magical year, you know? Um, And, uh, but, but anyway, what I was getting at is like, like my whole development was like, I was a rock guy, but you know, you get into Cream, and all of a sudden Cream breaks up, and Jack Bruce goes on to play with this guy, Tony Williams. Well, you know, I wasn't listening to Miles back then. I had no idea who Tony Williams was, but I went out and I bought Turn It Over. That 6-8 thing, I oh my God, you, you can actually hear the pedal squeaking and the hi-hat playing, <laughs> eighth note that, that blew my mind that opened up a whole different thing and i think in the 70s i i was kind of a rock snob because that spoiled me and then you know on the heels of that with mahavishnu return to forever and all all that stuff started happening yeah yeah so yeah i wanted to study from everyone i could and 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 try to open things up um norm grossman and that's a name that you don't hear because he was an educator but he used to teach at ippolito's when ippolito was on the eighth avenue the old ippolito's um and you know i studied there for a while and he he really got my reading together he he was he was he 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 can make a pad sound like an orchestra. I mean, you know those guys that just have that touch, you know. Yeah, that was Norm Grossman, and rest in peace. I know these guys are gone. God, yeah. I've, um, I've heard his name too, Joe. I I, yeah. I never met him, but I've definitely heard that name. Yeah, yeah. Um, Norm Grossman was one of the you know, and everyone taught there. Everyone hang hung out of the Bolitos. Yeah. You know, a Chapin would come in and crash your lesson, and yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it was a good time, you know, I mean, and everyone, Elvin would hang out at the Polito's and, uh, Mel Lewis, and everyone, you know, yeah. was there. It was such a scene. I know. Um, I, I've, I've heard those stories about Elvin, you know, just like. He just hung. He hung up saying, by the, by the side. Yeah. He'd say to you, come here, let me show you, let me show you something or show, play me something. And then he'd, he'd basically give you a lesson right there at the counter, you know? And so, so when you were, so. <laughs> Talking about like when you're 16 and and all these, yeah. you know, everything was so impressionable. And were you had you started playing double bass drums at that point, or had no, you, you still, no, no, that 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 wasn't on my radar until you know, yeah, well, 16, you know, it, it was Ginger was it Baker, Ginger Baker, yeah, okay. it was Baker. Well, Baker did it first. Ginger Baker, um, I heard Toad, and I was like, whoa, what's that? Yeah. And and I thought he was, I thought he was doing he was playing a role between his floor tom and his kick drum so I got that down I got you know just between my floor tom and my kick yeah. my right hand and right foot right and can I make can I just make a point that that you know and I know that maybe people don't know is Ginger's Ginger had two 
different size bass drums so they they actually sounded very different when he yeah. played them that way and it it gave that impression of like it could be a, a bass drum and a floor tom but anyway sorry I, oh that that that's really interesting i didn't think of it like that at all but yeah ginger used to use a 24 on his left and a 22 on his right or was there the 22 and the 20 but i know that the, the left arm, 20, yeah, yeah yeah the left arm was bigger you know yeah but um but I heard that, and I thought that's what he was doing. And then I saw a picture of them, and he had two bass drums. I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's cool. I know. I, yeah. I, 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 I took a stab at it. I, I bought another bass drum. I had my Ringo kit, and I added another bass. My, my ring. I saw. Ooh, look at that. Yeah. That's a 67 Ludwig. Um, mm. I actually have um the quiet symbols and the quiet heads you know because like like um my home theater is like in the next room and you know like yeah. someone said your movie you can play on that thing and it's great and i just like seeing it because i cut my teeth on it i like Absolutely. walking walking yeah. past it every day you know um so anyway um double bass so ginger influenced me carmine played the same way ginger did in in that um you know, I, I shouldn't say it that way. It, 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 it had the same roots where the left foot was a timekeeper. Most of the guys from that era, they were so used to playing like eighth notes on their hi-hat. So when you added the second bass drum, you just start playing eighth notes on the second bass drum because you had that you had that down already. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd play in between on your right foot, you know. And um, and they, all of them, the Carmine, um, Ainsley Dunbar, um, everyone from that era, all the jazzers, the left foot was always your timekeeper, whether you were playing two and four or quarter notes or eighth notes, that was your timekeeper. So yeah. they put that over there and then worked around it, you know? Uh, so like if you were playing a shuffle and you're playing, you know, quarter notes here, you play the upbeat here and you got da 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 you know, um, which, you know, Kaboom and Alex Van Halen and all those guys, but let me um, give credit where it's due. The first time someone did that was Carmine, first song, first side on the first Cactus album, Parchment Farm. That was the first dig 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 you know, double okay. bass shuffle. And what he was doing was playing time on his left foot and playing in between, you know. And, and you know, so that, that, that's how I played double bass um, for years and years. Good rats, all that stuff. Just yeah. play time with my left foot. Yeah. And I get like, oh man, your double bass stuff is killing. And I'd be like, my double bass sucks. I mean, all I'm doing <laughs> is playing shuffles and, and 16th notes. I'm not doing anything. And that evolved into um, writing a drum book. You know, yeah. I, I kind of turned it around and I would talk to every drummer. I would talk to, I, I'd corner Terry at, at a NAM show. Terry, so I, I know you, you're playing like, time on your left foot and you're filling them with your right but like then you come out of the roll on your left foot on the one he goes no i just play a double right at the end and i was like no i don't want <laughs> you're like ah oh, rats <laughs> yeah no, but the only guy that was turning it around and and playing you know the way i play now was steve smith okay wow i yeah. thought you were gonna say simon phillips steve smith nope. steve smith steve 
and, and you know, we we were we were always two wing nuts talking all this yeah. stuff, yeah. and and yeah. yeah, Steve Steve really gave me the confidence to you know turn things around, and I started leading with my right foot, and that evolved into a system of playing, um, and that that's kind of my drum book, and 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 you know what what's cool about it, what I like about it is like I like playing rhythms on the bass drums, you know, like where. Um, and 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 I like having a systematic way of doing it. Yeah. Because like the idea comes here, and I want it to just come out. I don't want to have to think about how I'm going to do it. You know. So I, you know, and and it, and it's very much like a guitar strum. You know, like a guitar. You strum on a guitar. Do gak gak gak. Do gak gak gak. Well, do bap bap bap. Do bap bap. Do get the gak. Do get the gak. You know that kind of thing. And and I got into that mode. And I said, well, this is really cool. I started writing out some beats. I started writing out some hand foot combination, linear stuff, um, and and that and and that led to double bass drumming, um, yeah. which is you know something I'm, which you know, is I'm the really, Bible of I want I want everybody who well, doesn't know about this it there's really so is. much out there that's so amazing, and there's such amazing players. But it's a nice foot in the door to getting your feet working on on two kick drums. You know, um, what guys are doing today? <laughs> it's like there's no separation between hands and feet. You know, it's, it's, I mean, yeah. there are guys that are playing. You know, like like gadaments with their feet. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But what, I, what I always loved, I mean, you know, when I, and I've seen you play many times um, from that first time I saw you at Desenzo's is how musical you are when you play double bass drums. You know, you, you, and it reminds me of it, like the way Carmine would, would use them melodically and, and Ginger, as you say, Ginger and, and yeah. guys like Steve and Simon and Rod, I mean, and Terry, like all my, all my favorite guys are, it's, there's speed when you need it and when you want it, but it's just not that. It's just you're you're correct me if I'm wrong, but your thing is not just playing them as fast as you can. It's like it's the whole melodic idea of it being another voice in the kit, your left foot, you know, and, and it's it's way yeah. more interesting to me that way. I like being able to play rhythms, you know, rather than yeah. just a burst of double bass, you know. Um and I was guilty of doing nothing but a burst of double bass yeah, and you, you know sometimes speed. sometimes and 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 this is you know younger drummers out there you know sometimes when there's like uh like a kind of a kink in the road and 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 there's nothing happening or you got kicked out of your band or this and that happened turn that into creative energy you know in my case you know um in the early 80s the good rats was kind of petering out and I joined this Canadian band just to do a tour, and I came back in '83. Yes, yes, Chilliwack. great, great band. That was that was a great band. Uh, Jimmy Einer, no, Donnie Einer, Jimmy's brother, called me in the office one day, and he says and he played me that new record, and I was like, "Wow, this is great!" You know, well, they need a drummer, um, and they're doing the big arena tour of Canada, and blah blah blah, and um, so it it was kind of like you know, time to make a move. But when I came back from that, after playing Good Rats for 10 years, playing like eight days a week, you know, yeah. all of a sudden I didn't have a band. And then it was like, ah, I'm going to write that drum book, you know. Um, that That is probably um, one of the best 
pieces of advice I can give to any drummer, you know, uh, turn something into positive energy. I didn't have a gig. Ah, if I did have a gig, I wouldn't have the time to do this, yeah. you know? And when I did do the drum book, it just stayed on my kitchen table for a year. You know, I, I was living out in Huntington, um, out in Long Island and I had a studio in my basement, you know, so I would spend all morning with a pot of coffee, writing out stuff. And then I go down and play. Um, and then what I did is to try the stuff out. Um, I started teaching two days a week at the Long Island Drum Center and uh, that Dennis Ricky is still running. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Dennis. Um, and um and it was really cool. And I, and I met some really amazing students who have become lifelong friends. That's the greatest thing about teaching. You know, you meet, there's certain guys that are just like your friends for life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, it's very gratifying. And, um, and I was sharing this information with, with them and, and kind of like, you know, not in a selfish way, but then kind of like, you know, gee, I hope this stuff is valid. And, you know, when you, they were eating it up and they were really, you know, coming back with it. And so, so yeah, I, 83 is when I, um, put that out. But, That's amazing. Yeah. It's, well, I, I think, uh, I think the fact that Frank Bellucci is watching right now and is saying <laughs> it's the best double bass drum book that feels the I love that guy. I do too. And he's a, he's a, what fine, a drummer. drummer. What an amazing drummer, an amazing human, plays great double bass drums, and he's giving you his endorsement. Is It's the best book. So, no, I think huge, huge. Um, so, so 83 coming up on 40 years. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta throw this out there because when David Frangi Frangioni and I were talking about this the other day, and he told me that MD now has the book. You can get it, uh, and David Hakeem, they were saying you can get it digitally, you can you know, download it, or you can still get the, the print version of it through Modern Drummer. So all you double bass drum players out there, if you don't have this book, you really have to have it. It really is, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way. It really is the, you know, the, the Bible, as it were, of double bass drum books. That's, well, thank you. Thank you so much. There's a lot of great material out there. Um, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I was able to put this together that long ago. And we spoke, David, um, David Frangioni and David Hakeem, we spoke about doing something as a 40th anniversary thing for the book, you know, so um, we'll put our heads together and do something cool next year. <laughs> so now that now that as you were saying at the beginning, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of coming out of this crazy time. Um, what do you see yourself? What do you think the next project or the next thing is you'll be doing um do you envision maybe going back on the road with anybody is there any I, I i don't know you know I, I i like to stay in great shape so i'm ready for anything you know yeah. uh but the bottom line is um sometimes i think i just want to put together a bar band and and and, and play like uh like do what you're doing you know, I, I, I just like to play, you know, and, and I like, and I like education. Do I want to go out there and do drum clinics and all that kind of stuff? No, I don't think so. You know, uh, mm. you know, I'll, but I want to do something educational. I just haven't figured it out. You know, maybe I'll do some videos and put them on YouTube. <laughs> that, that, you think, you think that would be, you think that would catch on? I don't know. I I think YouTube, no. I don't know. I think people, it's a, it's, people, it's a, no. It's a, well, you know what? I'm so glad you said that though, because I, 
I, well, I sort of, no, not, not the YouTube part, but, but, you know, talking about the book, I guess in my mind implied that you're an educator, but it really, I, I want to spend a minute on that and tell everybody that, and I'm, I think, I think we have a pretty um, educated audience of who Joe Franco is watching right now, because there's so many people watching, but, but for anybody who doesn't know, you're, you're a, a, a tremendous educator. I mean, one of the best educators, really. I mean, I, Again, I'll, I, someone actually, if you scroll back, you'll find it. Someone said it was one of the best clinics they ever saw. It was a clinic you did some years ago. And again, I've seen several at, at, in different places. Yeah, you're, you're you know, and, and, and got to give props to Carmine, too, because I've seen a few of his clinics where, you know, I think it's so, it, it's so difficult, I think, to, to be able to wear both of those hats the way you do the way that Carmine does, the way that a lot of these great drummers and educators are able to do. There's, there's some tremendous educators that maybe, um, when it, they don't have the sort of, I don't want to say wow factor or the sort of resume as a, as a recording artist, maybe that you have and that, do you know what I'm saying? But you, you're able to take both of those parts of it. Like you've got the resume as a, as a player and the education well, yeah, I thank you. I, 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 I find it very natural. I love, but I, I, I don't think I'm different than most other drummers. I think drummers like to, hey, what, oh, that was just right, left, left, right, foot, foot. You know, that, I, I mean, drummers like doing that. You know, I, I, yeah. uh, it, we like sharing the knowledge, you know, it, it, it makes, it makes me feel good, you know, yeah. um, to, to turn somebody onto something, you know, um, I, am I good at it? Please. I, I got, I used to get so nervous when I did a drum clinic, you know, cause you go up there and you play, yeah. that's easy. You know, <laughs> that now what? Yeah. And, and because I, I'm really good on a one-on-one, -on -one, but Put me in front of an audience, you know. I'm not. I'm not the lead singer. You know what I mean? It's. It's a really different. It's a different thing. Until someone asks the first question. Yeah. Because then, um, even though you're talking to an audience, you're addressing it to one person. And one on one, I'm good at. You know, um, being a public speaker and doing that whole thing. I mean, there are so many guys that do it so amazingly well. But um, but it, it's it's good to hear that people are learning something from 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 me. So um, absolutely, no, I'm happy I, to hear I, that. I think you're being humble because I've. I know what you're saying, and I and I agree with what you're saying in terms of like one on one versus a big crowd. But you yeah, definitely know how, to, you know how to work the the big room too. I've seen you do it. It's you, you make everybody feel comfortable. You're funny, you know. You're just you're you're you. You know what I mean. You just come up. You're smiling, and and typically when you're done playing the 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 drum solo, to me that would be the hardest part. But when you're done with that, it 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 definitely leaves people kind of catching their breath anyway. So you know you've. you've <laughs> It gives people something to talk about. Well, it's nice to spend some quality time with you, John. Um, and I know there's an audience out there, but this is just great to see you. It's great to see you too, buddy. I know. <laughs> I, I, um, you know, I, I think about I think about a lot of great hangs too. I, I, I was um, thinking about the Zildjian Day in New York <laughs> in 1990. And 1990. 1990. At the, Nirvana, the Indian restaurant. Oh we get back to the hotel, the Mayflower, and Lenny's Tending Bar. 
Okay, so you re- yes, yes, you're one of the few people that can remember that night. <laughs> I, I remember Lenny's room. I remember Kenny Aronoff jumping up and down on Lenny's on the, bed. I mean, I, you, you know, there, there's certain moments that uh, you know they're just you know, etched in stone. Kenny jumping on the table at Nirvana too. He got up on the table and was like with these big cowboy boots that he used to wear, and he's jumping up and down. And but that was that was <laughs> that was, a good that was one of the. Yeah, it was an amazing. It was a great Zildjian day. Steve Smith was there, and and Weckl, yeah. Alex Acuna, yeah, Kenny, um, yeah. Kenny, maybe a couple other guys. I think um, Tristan Bowden was there, also there. Yeah, yeah. Chris, that and, that uh, that was such a trip, you know. Like I I I went on first, you know, the New York boy. I get out there and like I got like Weckl and Smith pat me on the back. Yeah, break a leg, go get them. It was so exciting, you know. It was it was, Every, it was really great. Everybody, everybody came through that day. But then, like you said, the hang afterward. We so everybody. <laughs> I, I've told the story before. We we I think we went to the to the bar at the Mayflower to have a a drink before dinner. We had a little, and Lenny and Armin opted to to sit out dinner. They were just like, yeah, we're just going to hang back here, and we go out have this great dinner at this Indian restaurant called Nirvana, overlooking Central Park. There's about ten or fifteen of us. At some point, Kenny Aronoff, you know, jumps up on the table and he's doing like a a dance or something. We go back to the hotel and the and the bar was basically, I think it was technically shut, but Lenny had got behind the bar and he was serving drinks to people. <laughs> and hotel security shows up and 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 they're like telling Lenny he has to leave and and uh, and he's walking away with like a bottle under his arm. <laughs> Oh, I got I got to tell a funny story. A bottle yeah, on the yeah. wrist. I, t- I have to tell this quick funny story. Um, PAS show in New York, seventy eight maybe. Oh, 70- I, I, I wasn't at that. So, but seventy nine. It was one of those seventy nine maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> go to the show, and it happened to be a night that Good Rats were playing, like a, you know, the Megadome. You know, we, we opened for Sticks at Nassau Coliseum for two nights, okay? So I'm, you know, see Lenny, Lloyd, you know, the the, the three of them. The Jew-Ops, yeah. The, yeah. the, the Jew-Ops. Yeah. The junior executives without power. Um, Jim Coffin, Lenny DeMuzio, <laughs> and Lloyd McCausland. Um, so... I invite them to the show, you know, and now I I don't know if you know good rats. We're very irreverent. We're very, you know, I mean, I'm telling the guys, guys, be on your best behavior because I've got these really important industry guys coming backstage <laughs> tonight. Okay. The three of them showed up and they all had bottles under their arm. They all, they get into the dressing room. They break up. Come on. It's funny. <laughs> Uh, I can totally picture it. Yeah, yeah. I know these 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 legendary executives that are like, yeah, they're they're like you, you know, know. I'm pretty young in my relationship with the company at that time, and I'm like, guys, be on your best behavior, okay? <laughs> man, make- those guys taught us how to party. Yeah, I know, man. I know they they could they could hang. You know, I I wanted to read you. There was a a a comment from Jim Catalano that I'm not seeing, unfortunately. Jim. Uh, but well, I think well, he, it Jim had to do was with at, um, Premier. He was, he, he was at, yeah, exactly. When they were at Elkhart and he was working with Jim Coffin. And that was my first drum endorsement in 77 or 8, you know, around that, that era. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
But and hi, he, Jim. Yeah, and he just Jim just said PAS nineteen seventy nine NYC seventy nine. Okay, so, so he was there, and and uh, Jim's Jim's a great cat. Yeah, and he uh, well, you'll see it afterward. There's there's a, a great comment that Jim put up there, just re- recalling his time at Premier and working with you, and um, yeah. Everybody that knows you, Joe, knows that that you know you're just a one of the good guys. <laughs> one, of the one, good of the, one of the one of the wing nuts. <laughs> wing nut forever. Uh, this is great. Well, <laughs> this is great. I you know we're we're kind of running out of time here, yeah. so I I, I want to thank you so much for for doing this today and uh, being my first guest in my sort of new platform with Modern Drummer. And I can't think of a, a, a better guy to have be the, the first show for this. So thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you. And uh, a big hand for Joe Franco, the great Joe Franco. All right. Thanks Joe's- for watching, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Joe Franco Double Bass Drumming Book. Joe Franco presents an organized discussion of this powerful and consistent sound in a method he calls the single stroke system. Focusing on beats, fills, and soloing over the double bass roll, this book provides practical applications that will guide a single bass drum player into the world of playing two bass drums. Joe Franco Double Bass Drumming DVD Playing with artists such as Twisted Sister, Leslie West, Vinnie Moore, and Jack Bruce, Joe Franco shares his incredible technique featuring the first practical approach to playing double bass drums. D-Drum is rolling out a new addition to their line of products called the E-Flex Electronic Drum Set. It features mesh heads on all three toms, a dual-sone snare pad, two cymbal pads, a hi-hat pad, and two pedal triggers. The responsiveness and feel on the drums is preserved while maintaining a simple and compact configuration. The all-in-one approach D-Drum took with this kit makes life easier for any drummer from beginner to pro. The E-Flex package includes a throne, a pair of sticks, and a stick holder. The included sounds are arranged into 12 preset drum kits, and there is a built-in metronome. Everything mounts on an easily adjustable rack system that can be configured to fit any player's needs. The entire eFlex kit can be ready to play 15 minutes after taking it out of the box. While not overcomplicating itself, this set still provides the necessary features and components that drummers come to expect with electronic drum sets. Both the crash and the ride cymbals are equipped with a choke function, and the ride pad has an additional bell zone as well. The pedal controller's feel is consistent and uniform. A nice feature in flexibility is that the E-Flex includes a double bass mode, which allows the hi-hat controller to be used as a second bass drum pedal trigger. The 12 preset drum kits provide a range of sounds for different musical styles. This includes rock, jazz, funk, metal, EDM, and percussion. There are also three live presets for the rock, jazz, and EDM kits. The live setting adds a touch of reverb to the drum sound, filling the sonic space a bit more naturally. The GM Standard, GM Room, and GM Power presets are three different effect options that give the player a slightly bigger toolbox of sounds when you are searching for the perfect drum sound. Although dynamic range and sensitivity is usually slightly limited for electronic drums, the E-Flex kit provides a pretty accurate representation of the dynamic range of what's actually being played. The sensors in the drums detect the velocity of the stick in order to replicate the actual dynamics well. The E-Flex does this important job fine for its price range. Whether you're a seasoned player that needs a low-volume practice solution or a beginner looking for a budget-friendly first step into drumming, the D-Drum E-Flex electronic drum set 
is a safe bet with a big sound and a small footprint. MSRP is 529 and you can find us on ddrum.com.